Welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. Every day, decisions are made across Maine that impact our environment, and Mainers play a crucial role as we speak up for climate action, the clear air, clear water, and open spaces that we all love. Come sit down with advocates and experts to discuss some of the most important stories that you need to know, what lies ahead, and hear what you can do about it. Thanks for listening as we share our view from the front lines. I'm Colin Durant, NRCM's Advocacy Communications Director, and welcome to another episode of Frontline Voices. We're joined today by NRCM's Forest and Wildlife Director, Melanie Sturm, to talk about a new proposed land use plan for the Moosehead Lake region that's getting a lot of attention. Uh, and then we're going to wrap up by checking in uh, once again with our advocacy director, Pete Didesheim, to get his closing thoughts on the legislative session and to hear about NRCM's priorities moving forward uh, now that there's not a ton of action in the state house. Uh, so, Melanie, let's begin with you. First of all, hey, how's it going? Hey, good. Thanks, Colin. Um, so, I just want to start by asking you to center us in the Moosehead Lake region. That's a a place that uh, so many people here in Maine and outside of Maine love. Uh, What makes this area so special and unique? Yeah, it's true. There's literally no place like the Moosehead region east of the Mississippi. And that's because it's the heart of the Northwoods. And this is, uh, the Moosehead Lake region is part of a vast forest land that is the largest undeveloped tract of forest east of the Mississippi. Um, That's something we often say at NRCM, but it's true. And it's important not to forget because there are a lot of ecological and economic benefits um, to that. Uh, There's a lot of fish and really good, good quality fish and wildlife habitat in this area. Um, It's important for supporting natural resource-based businesses like forestry, the outdoor recreation economy. Um, It's just a beautiful place to visit. Um, And a lot of the, a lot of folks in Maine have been thinking about climate change lately. This um, is the world's largest temperate broadleaf forest in, uh, and that means that there's a lot of carbon sequestration and storage Hmm. Um, that happens in these forests. So Moosehead is incredibly significant and beloved by many people. Yeah, and like you said, NRCM talks about it a lot. We're no stranger to working in Moosehead. Can you just give us um, some further context into NRCM's work to protect the the sort of unique character of this region, uh, notably by working to prevent sprawling development? Uh, I think, you know, something that's probably on a lot of people's, that people remember is, Um, the Plum Creek Development Plan. So can you give us that sort of context of NRCM's, how NRCM's been approaching advocacy in the region? Sure. Well, NRCM has been working on Northwoods issues for a long time, but I think that advocacy you're talking about really ramped up in the 2000s when Plum Creek, um, in the largest land sale in Maine history, Plum Creek, a Seattle-based company, bought land from a former... um, commercial uh, forest land owner. And the company came in with very different values, a very different management approach than what was traditionally seen in Maine's forest lands, which um, definitely caught the attention of NRCM. Um, This company initially said they had no interest in developing their land, but they pretty much turned around and did just that and proposed the largest development 
proposal in history, which the Land Use Planning Commission ended up approving after several iterations of the concept plan. Um, it involved nearly 2,000 house lots on remote ponds and multiple resorts. It was a scale of development that was just very inappropriate for this region and um, was tone deaf to the values of the community. And so to say this was controversial would be a huge understatement. This is the issue that, NRCM, that galvanized NRCM and hundreds if not thousands of Mainers to oppose Plum Creek's concept plan. And I said that the LUPC ended up approving this concept plan, which they did, but only after um, NRCM uh, and others urged for a scaling back of the amount of development and the placement of development from that plan. So a, ma a major theme of that campaign uh, was once it's gone, it's gone forever. That's something that NRCM had been saying to oppose Plum Creek. And that's still true today. It's um, as true today as it was then. And um, the character of the Moosehead Lake region is worth fighting for, which is why we're still paying attention to issues happening in that area. Yeah, and something you've been focused on a lot uh, recently. And so let's let's shift gears now to uh, what I talked about at the top, this draft regional land use planning package um, that our listeners may have read about or heard about in the news. This is a recommended proposal for rezoning um, that was created by staff at the Land Use Planning Commission um, with substantial, almost, I think it's like two years of public input. Um, and on Wednesday, May 11th, LUP, the LUPC commissioners began discussing this new proposal. So can you give us just sort of a high level overview uh, of this package and sort of what, we're, you know, what you're thinking about? Sure. Um, you're right that um, the LEPC has been gathering input from the community and stakeholders for almost two years now. And um, it is just a proposal, but NRCM is feeling pretty optimistic about it because it achieves a lot of the goals that we have been hoping for for the region. Um, primarily, the recommendation package concentrates development around existing towns and commercial centers. Um, which helps avoid sprawl and all the negative habitat impacts that comes from that, as well as the negative impacts that um, could occur to you know, the towns themselves who are in need of an injection of some economic activity and, um, and whatnot. So a, a major uh, feature of the recommendation package is six new development areas in four townships. Um, I'd say that NRCM feels really good about five of the six development uh, zones that are being proposed, and one of them we want to look into a little bit more. We feel like it might be unnecessary and actually exacerbate sprawl a little bit, so we'll look into that. Um, but another component of the recommendation package is removing 10 townships from the primary and secondary locations, and that essentially means removing those 10 townships from development consideration. And that's a huge win. Um, when the adjacency rule was amended in 2019, the Moosehead Lake region had this Plum Creek concept plan in place. And so it was never looked at very closely when the adjacency rule was being um, implemented and the primary and secondary locations were being designated. And so now that the concept plan disappeared, uh, there needed to be a closer, the LUPC needed to take a closer look 
at how the adjacency rule was being applied in this area. And that's what they did over the past several months. That's great. And you, you talked about, you know, those six new development zones and then areas where development had scaled back. Um, I understand one of them was Lily Bay Township, something that we've talked a lot about. Um, also near around lots of several other smaller lakes. But can you talk about why Lily Bay is sort of something that, you know, we've been, we have and others have been focused on? Yeah, it has been a priority of ours to protect um, because it abuts a lot of other conservation land and public land. Um, it's very close to Lily Bay State Park. Um, and so in the conservation world, having contiguous protected land is uh, huge of, of huge importance for um, wildlife habitat. And this area of the lake is uh, habitat for the threatened Canada lynx. Um, it's a listed species under the Federal Endangered Species Act. And so um, it's important that there not be a lot of development in that area. Man, I gotta say, I love those Canada lynx videos that people show every once in a while that you see pop up on Facebook. I, that is just like, can you imagine seeing one of those in the wild? Usually it's a trail cam, but. They're, the noises they make, though, yeah. are so frightening. It's, a, they were, it's shocking, really. They, that, that would be surprising. Uh, so would running in, into one of them be. But um, so I'm curious, what's uh, next for this proposed rezoning package? So we had expected the commissioners at yesterday's meeting to vote on the staff recommendation in order for the staff to move forward with gathering input on the, um, their recommendation package. The commissioners needed more information. They didn't seem quite ready to vote, but the LUPC still said that they would start to do some outreach and gather input um, from the community on their recommendation. And in particular, something that came up at yesterday's commission meeting was that um, the commissioners wanted to be sure an extra effort was made to contact landowners who might be affected by the decisions. Um, you know, not just folks who might live in the area or visit, but folks who actually own land on potentially these ro remote ponds that you talked about that are being removed from the primary and secondary locations, just to be sure um, that they understand. Uh, what's going on with the process. So big picture is that um, the Land Use Planning Commission by the end of the year will have done another round of input and finalized their rezoning changes and amendments to the adjacency rule in the Moosehead Lake region. Uh, so in the next few months, we'll be able to see what the final plan will look like. That's great. And can you just... Um... Uh, can you just speak really, I didn't give you a heads up that I'd ask you about this, but I, uh, I'm, I, you know, the ski area in this area has gotten a lot of attention and interest, I think. And I'm just curious if you can give us just a really quick, you know, update or your perspective on that, on that ski area and the plans there. Cause I, I think it's something that probably is on people's mind again, cause it's been in the news a lot. Oh yeah, and I think it's actually advantageous that the ski resort is being contemplated at the same time of this regional planning process so the LEPC can consider the resort in the context of this larger blueprint they're putting together. Um, 
So the resort is being permitted in two phases and they're in phase one right now. And there's actually a public meeting about that if folks are curious to learn more on Tuesday, June 7th at 6 p.m. Um, NRCM doesn't necessarily strongly support or oppose the resort, but we are really pleased that the resort is being revitalized since it's been derelict for a number of years and it's on an existing um, footprint for a resort. So we think it makes a lot of sense and it's much better to do um, build a resort and development there rather than somewhere else on the lake. So um, we're interested to see how things go forward. That's great. And I just want to talk about one more thing that that, uh, that happened at that LUPC meeting, which is what uh, they approved the permit that that LUPC reviews for what would become um, one of New England's largest solar energy projects, the Three Corners Solar Project. Can you just give us a quick update on that for our listeners who might be interested? Yeah. Yeah, the Three Corners Solar Project covers 700 acres in Unity Township, Clinton, and Benton. It's a $200 million project that's estimated to create enough clean energy to power three, excuse me, 30,000 homes. Um, it's at a, it would be the largest solar project in New England when it comes online in 2024 at a capacity of 110 megawatts. So as volatile oil and gas prices show up as big utility bills and heating bills for families, um, we really wanna emphasize that bringing solar online like this puts uh, downward pressure on energy costs. So these projects, they don't just reduce pollution, they stabilize energy costs, providing long-term benefits to community and putting us on a path to meeting Maine's climate goals. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for that update. I mean, I think it's just another example of how Maine really is sort of all in on, on clean energy, um, which is good news for the climate and good news for Maine, as you said. Uh, before we switch to Pete, um, in his closing thoughts on the legislative session, I just wanted to note you visited Down East re recently uh, to meet with some NRCM supporters and partners in the region. Can you just give us a quick, you, if, if our listeners are follow us on Instagram, you might've seen some videos and photos from Melanie's visit, but um, if you didn't, Melanie, can you give uh, a quick taste uh, for our listeners how, how that trip went? Yeah, it went really well. I was so glad to be there. It's a beautiful part of the state and I guess they were having a heat wave. So it felt like summer. Um, and I gained a lot of perspective from speaking with NRCM supporters and activists. Um, I actually met with a number of folks in Pembroke and that town just voted to kick out all mining from the town. And so they were really excited about that, um, the overwhelming support for opposing mining and um, I also met with a former NRCM staff person who now runs Weatherby's Resort. Um, and, you know, I, I really met with a lot of really interesting people. Also, Donald Soctoma from the Passamaquoddy Tribe and um, with Down East Lakes Land Trust, who's doing really incredible work um, in the Grand Lake Stream area. So um, it was a a really great visit and I appreciate, you know, everyone making time for me. Sounds like fun. Okay, Pete, you're up. The legislature has officially ended after coming back for a veto override day. That same day, the governor held ceremonial bill signings for some half a dozen environmental bills. 
you were there with some of our advocacy team and some of our champion lawmakers, and it sounded like uh, quite quite a moment. Yeah, it was really a great way to to celebrate the end of the legislative session. You know, the governor's office scheduled six back-to-back signing ceremonies of environmental bills that we've been working on this session and many others we're working on. And for each one, a group of lawmakers and advocates and agency staff and main citizens who were involved in those bills gathered outside the governor's office. A lot of people were on the second floor of the state house. And then one by one, these groups, including five NRCM staff, myself and Lisa Pullman and, and Jack and Rebecca and Sarah, um, we moved into the cabinet room and lined up behind the governor as she delivered remarks about what really were some pretty significant bills. And she signed each one. It was really great energy and enthusiasm and celebration. Um, and these really were some significant bills. Let me just walk through these six bills. It was, it was the bill to close the loophole that has allowed Maine to be a dumping ground for out-of-state waste. We've been working on that for a decade. So that was a big one. Uh, Second, the utility accountability and grid planning bill. We put a ton of work into this. I think it's the first bill of its kind of the nation that requires grid planning that's tied to uh, a state climate action plan and to specific climate reduction requirements. That's really big and it's gonna have a big impact. Uh, third, a bill banning the further spreading of composted sludge from wastewater treatment plants because of the threat of PFAS chemicals on agricultural lands, that's a big problem. Fourth, a bill to boost interdisciplinary climate education with $2 million in grant funding to Maine school districts. That's fantastic. And Maine Youth for Climate Justice and a lot of really great young environmentalists and climate act activists were involved in that bill. And then a bill that will launch a Maine Climate Corps, uh, which will be similar to AmeriCorps, but focused on local climate mitigation and res resiliency projects. That's the fifth one. And then a sixth one, a bill that sets ambitious goals for transitioning the fleets of state and local government agency vehicles to electric vehicles. So those bill signings were really neat. And I just have to say that the moment when a bill becomes a law is such a great feeling. That's when all the testimony and debate and amendments and votes are done. And the words and the ideas that we've been fighting for are officially entered into the statutes of the state of Maine. And NRCM played a big part in getting those bills across the finish line. So it was nice to be there at the finish line with the governor as she put her signature onto the documents to lock those words into place. Pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. And like I said before, what a what a moment and um, just a great ending to uh, what was a really busy even though it was a short session, it was a really busy session. So I'm curious if you have any last reflections for our listeners as, as that legislative, you know, I think it was the 130th, right? Legislative right. session comes to a close. Yeah, well, just picking up off your last comment there, this was another banner year for environmental legislation. And I've looked back over the last four years and, and lawmakers have passed more than 100 significant environmental laws or spending measures over the last four years, pretty incredible, including landmark bills that will make a big difference for Maine's environment. Many of those bills had broad bipartisan support, which is great. Second, you know, there's gonna be a lot of turnover next year. As the curtain came down on this legislative session, I realized that more than a third of the lawmakers currently serving won't be back next year. 
because of term limits or because some have decided not to run for re-election. There's also several seats that are open because the legislators have passed away. So 53 House seats out of 151, 13 Senate seats out of 35 will be open seats. This will be a record turnover. <coughs> and then finally, COVID really had a big impact on the legislative process. It made it much more difficult for lawmakers to develop relationships among each other and with their constituents. It was more difficult for us to develop and strengthen our working relationships with legislators. So I just got to hope that next year we're back to normal, but it does seem like public hearings will continue uh, to have the Zoom option. And I think that's a really good innovation because it lets people who can't take a day off to drive to Augusta to testify from the comfort of their own home. So those are a few kind of general observations. Yeah, I think I think you hit that. Thank you for those observations. And I do think you you heard that from people who are testifying, right? Like, yeah, Maine is huge. And that's asking a lot for somebody uh, to drive, you know, several hours. Uh, yeah, in some cases, it, people would drive three hours. Yeah. Be there an hour early, deliver three minutes of testimony. Yeah. And then drive three hours home. Right. Lose a day of work, line up yeah. childcare. And instead, they can, you know, go to their home office or just yep. whip open their laptop and do it quick deliver testimony yeah so it's yeah. it's really great it opened up the process to a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't have participated for sure well and a huge thanks we've said it before but a huge thanks to all our supporters all our members everyone who spoke up for these bills because you know as we say time and time again it's that partnership between nrcm and and people who love maine that make this all possible uh, yeah. that people power. So thanks to everyone for taking action. Pete, now, now the legislative uh, session has closed. Um, what, where, where, where are we shifting? What are some of the priorities coming up for NRCM that you want to give people a uh, heads up about that particularly probably will be, they'll be reading about in the news? Well, one issue they probably read about in the news this week was the CMP quarter issue was, um, was before the main Supreme Judicial Court this week. Uh, and it's going to be in front of the Board of Environmental Protection next year, next week, I mean, and they will be taking up uh, appeals um, next week at the at the Board of Environmental Protection of the DEP permit. Uh, but this week, um, in terms of the court action, let me just kind of review the where things are, are at. So last summer, Superior Court Justice uh, Michaela Murphy ruled that the CMP lease across public lands was illegal and she vacated that lease. The Bureau of Parks and Lands had failed to get a two-thirds vote of the House and Senate approving a substantial change of use of that public land as is required by the main constitution. Clearly a massive transportation line, uh, transmission line um, would be of a scale that requires a two-thirds vote and they didn't do it. So CMP has appealed that ruling uh, that vacated the lease. So that appeal was in front of the, of the uh, courts this week. And then second, um, CMP is trying to overturn the referendum. So last November, Maine voters approved question one, overwhelmingly 90 plus percent of Maine towns had a majority vote uh, in support of question one, uh, outlawing CMP's corridor. The very next day, CMP continued cutting down the corridor in Western Maine. Then they sued the state to overturn the referendum. They also requested a 
a preliminary injunction to stop the referendum from going into force. And then the business court in December rejected that preliminary injunction request. So the referendum became law on December 19th. So CMP appealed that decision. So that issue was in front of the courts. So oral argument was delivered. The court is going to deliberate and they will be issuing uh, decisions in the next month or two. So it would be pretty extraordinary from our per perspective, if the court were to overturn the will of Maine voters, mm -hmm. that would be just incredible. Or if they concluded that it was okay to trample public lands without a vote of the legislature. So we really hope the courts um, keep the CMP uh, quarter in its current state, which is it's been mothballed and then the project is not moving forward. So mm -hmm. let me also mention just a couple other quick things. Um, next week, uh, there's going to be a pretty significant meeting uh, focused on offshore wind. Uh, so the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management is going to be holding a meeting of its Gulf of Maine task force to discuss how to pursue offshore wind power to help meet our really urgent needs to reduce our dependence on fossil fuels. And we believe this is a huge opportunity for Maine to be part of a major emerging new clean energy industry that creates jobs, economic benefits, and large amounts of clean energy. So we believe offshore wind can be pursued in a way that balances existing uses in the Gulf of Maine, which is huge, uh, with these future uses while also being sensitive to environmental impacts. So that's going to be in the news next week. And one other thing I'll just mention, the Maine Climate Council is meeting today, and uh, they've just announced that they're going to be holding a a news, a, um, a conference in Augusta on Friday, June 17th. It's gonna be a Maine Climate Council conference focused on communities leading on climate. And this is gonna be open to the public and it's gonna have a lot of sessions focused on how communities can take action to both mitigate greenhouse gas emissions and improve their resilience to the impacts of climate change. We're involved in a ton of other things, but these are a few things that are on our radar screen. Never a dull moment. That's that, that's not all for sure. Um, the offshore wind uh, work is just fascinating to me and really exciting. And one of the things that's just so cool is that you know there's the potential to use this cutting edge floating wind turbine technology that's created here in Maine, being manufactured here in Maine, being right. created yeah. and researched by UMaine students and researchers. So I just love uh i love that connection to it and it emphasizes yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a it's a really interesting opportunity i mean we're a mm -hmm. shipbuilding state the gulf of mm -hmm. maine is enormous the winds out deep in in the gulf of maine 25 50 miles out are strong and consistent and the amount of power that could be captured um really could i mean uh, all the way up and down the atlantic seaboard uh, states are looking at offshore mm -hmm. wind development. Um, few have a resource as powerful as ours. And we really could, if we do this well and right, um, create a really big industry yeah. that is delivering clean power to, mm -hmm. um, to the Eastern United States, which is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a good future podcast. Topic. Yeah. Um, well, thank you to both Pete and Melanie for joining me for yet another great episode of Frontline Voices. And thanks as always for our listeners for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Maine Environment Frontline Voices. 
If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to our podcast or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and several other podcast listening apps. Since 1959, NRCM has been tapping into the power of the Maine people, science, and the law to protect and enhance the nature of Maine. To learn more about our work, visit nrcm.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.